We just read Psalm 75 and Psalm 82, psalms that I would recommend anyone hearing this message that describe the foundations and pillars of the earth being the political offices that men hold in God, showing His endorsement of political rulers by calling them gods with a little g. Because on earth, they are the closest thing to God by the authority they wield, and that authority is to be wielded for righteousness and against wickedness. And I love those two psalms, and I hope that you enjoy them as well, of what a godly leader should be saying and doing, and what God will do to those leaders that don't do and say the right things, and how that He stands among the mighty, and He's going to hold them accountable, and though He gave them an exalted office, it will not help them in the day of judgment. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 10. Proverbs 19 and verse 10. These kind of words are not preached in very many places. Far less than 1% of the pulpits of even conservative churches deal with issues like this as we ought to deal with them. Proverbs 19.10 was chosen by God for you to get in your email boxes Friday evening for yesterday. By the system I have, it picked Proverbs 19.10 out of 915 verses of Proverbs. I love the God of heaven. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Seemly means appropriate fit, right, or suitable. Delight is not appropriate fit, right, or suitable for a fool. A fool shouldn't have delight in life. A fool should have every liberty, every opportunity for pleasure and privilege cut off because he doesn't deserve it. That's what it means in the first clause. Delight. Delighting in life, having liberty, having pleasure, having privilege, getting honor, as other verses that are cross-references in Proverbs would say, honor is not seemly for a fool. They don't deserve it. Our nation does the opposite, and it's an evil that that proceeds from the ruler, as Ecclesiastes 10 tells us. The second half of Proverbs 19.10, much less... Now, while it's bad to give honor, and while it's bad to allow liberty and privilege to a fool, much less should we ever let a servant have rule over princes. Whether those princes are civil princes, or whether those princes are economic princes, or whether those princes are family princes, or household princes, servants, much less then giving delight to a fool should ever have rule over princes. Servants should not be allowed such a privilege. Two current events provoke me to preach to you this second assembly about God's will in a couple of matters that have occupied the news. First of all, we have the president of Egypt driven out of his office, having to resign his office and leave his presidential palace with his family, because of a bunch of rabble in the streets of Cairo and other cities, instigated by revolutionaries and filled with university students in order to drive him out of office. Whether the president of Egypt was noble or not, whether he was good to the people of Egypt or not, is irrelevant to the issue. He was the president of the nation, and he leaves by other means than rabble in the streets. If he and the Egyptians were men, in the sense of God's men, those tanks would have ground them under their treads. This is not how the world operates. The foundations are out of place, and the pillars are taken away, and the inhabitants are dissolving. It's a messed up nation when events like that happen in it. A lot of different things could be said. Maybe a little bit more will be said in the next few minutes. took 18 days, and the president of that nation who had held his office for 30 years was gone. The second event has taken place in Madison, Wisconsin, where the governor, who was just elected a few months ago, three, four months ago, was elected. He just took office 
four or five weeks ago, he has asked for a few changes to be made so that he can balance the budget, which is what the citizens of that state asked him to do. He told them how he was going to do it, and he's in office, and now he's taking the first steps to do it. And there is one mess going on in Madison, Wisconsin. Jesse Jackson, the Baptist preacher, is there. I have no regard for him at all. The president of the AFL-CIO is there. The Democrat Party is bussing people into Madison, Wisconsin from out of state to create more size than that little rabble has there in the Capitol against the governor who is taking just a few first steps. Those few first steps are to ask that the teachers of the state of Wisconsin contribute a little bit toward their retirement plans and toward their medical benefits, which is what all other private sector employees do. Now, the average teacher in the Milwaukee public school system makes $100,005 in annual compensation. Now, they only work two-thirds of the year. So you need to take $100,005 and divide it by two, which gives you 50250 or two two fifty, and multiply it by three, which gives you one hundred and fifty thousand a year. On an annualized equivalent basis, a teacher makes for their little work day, five days a week, one hundred and fifty thousand a year. All he isn't touching their salaries. He's asking them to contribute a little bit toward their benefit package like everyone else is having to do because our nation is in a tough time. He is also asking to take away a little bit, a part of their collective bargaining rights, which means that they can't join together as a mob and force the government to give them what they want. He is not asking for collective bargaining rights to be taken away from their wages, just from their benefits, and that the government will no longer collect union dues for them didn't say there can't be a union. We're just not going to do your dirty work for you. And so there's a mess going on in Wisconsin. I thank God, and I seldom get to do this for leaders that we see on the horizon of this nation, for Governor Scott Walker. Governor Scott Walker is the son of a Baptist minister. I wrote you a few things about him. He he went to the, the office of governor on one of his campaign mantras was trust and obey. And he meant it just the way we meant it. I trust the Lord and I obey him. He was the county executive for the the county of Milwaukee. And he already set their budget in order over nine years in office. He's done a great job so far. I'm very thankful for him. I'm thankful for his courage. Those teachers that are paid 150000 a year on an annualized basis have an underperforming at-risk school system where only 68% of the students ever graduate. Anyway. So the unions are all alarmed because it's an attack against unions, and unions are a work of the devil. They are for the rabble to gather themselves together and to extort and blackmail the owners of capital and managers into giving them what they want. No man would accept it in his home. But it's fools that cannot see and are blind and walk on in darkness, just as Psalm 82 described to us. How many of you men would like to come home from work someday and find your children have barricaded the place and you're not allowed in your home anymore, and they're telling you to get lost until you give them what they want? in the way of liberty, rules, compensation, allowance, and privileges. That's a union. It's no more, no less, except children are more intelligent than people in a union. That's the only thing that's not fair about my comparison. I'm sorry to children for using you as an example like that. They're rabble. Go look it up if you don't know what that means. And union instigators are rabble rousers. Go look it up if you don't know what that means. By God's providence, he is raised up Governor Scott Walker, and I appreciate him, and I'm glad there's websites already, Scott Walker for president. That didn't take long, because it doesn't take much. Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119, 
in the Word of God. Psalm 119. These are favorite verses of our church. And this is how we want to face any issue that we read or hear about in the news. We do not want to feel our passion and then go find its defense in the Bible. We want to go find what the Bible teaches and then get passionate about it. And that is hard sometimes. I will say a tithe of what I feel. But I will say enough to defend God's Word. I've already read enough from Psalm 75 and Psalm 82 that it ought to bless the hearts of God's elect who know that God has written that way about government. I gave you exalted positions. I'm standing among you, and you better execute your office right, or I will regard you no different than any other man, and I will wring out the dregs and make you drink them, and I will cut you off. The Lord has done that from the beginning of this world's history, and He will continue to do it. There's no reason to be detailed or complicated or take a long time. I just want to read you some scriptures to remind you to be established on the Word of God when it comes to things like unions, employment, when it comes to things like governments, kings, presidents, and angry mobs demonstrating in streets. Psalm 119, we love verse 97. Oh, how love I thy law. We love what God has to say. It is my meditation all the day. And that is what you ought to meditate on so that you can rightly interpret news. Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies. For they, that is, thy commandments, are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Verse 104, through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Verse 118. Thou hast trodden down all them that err from thy statutes. For their deceit is falsehood. Their lies are lies. Is what Psalm 119.118 is declaring. And that God has trodden them down that err from his statutes. Psalm 119 and verse 128. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things, to be right. And I hate every false way. This is the attitude we always need to have. It doesn't matter who or how many. It doesn't matter how sentimental or how politically correct. It doesn't matter what minority that we might be in on a position we hold. All we want to make sure is that we're esteeming all his precepts, not just picking our favorites or the ones that serve our purpose, but all his precepts concerning any subject, all things, to be right. We esteem them, we exalt them, we put them on that level, that they are right, no matter what they say, whether we understand it, agree with it or not. And we hate, we hate every false way that is contrary to God's precepts. What happened in Egypt? Unless you're deaf, dumb, and blind, you know that university students and others because there is now a form of mass communication that has never existed before, were able to be prodded out of their homes and dormitories and put in the city square of Cairo to argue and fight and demonstrate for the removal of the president, for him to resign his office and for there to be a new government. What does God think of such civil rebellion? Now, if you listen to me as I read Psalm 75 and Psalm 82... He calls civil rulers gods, which should say a lot right there. I don't care about the president of Egypt on a personal level. I don't care how noble he is. That doesn't give any nation the right to throw him out that way. And the rest of the world shouldn't have stood by idly. And the army shouldn't have stood by, except they're so afraid of the people, they didn't dare do anything. Look at Romans chapter 13. What does the Bible say? What does God think? And you know, when you understand the historical perspective of the New Testament Scriptures, they give you an understanding of some of these verses that would you would not otherwise think unless you are forced to remember that the government the Apostle Paul is talking about and the government the Apostle Peter 
talks about, and the government Jesus Christ dealt with, was the Roman government. Pagan, oppressive, and occupying God's chosen land and their people. It would be like Fidel Castro taking over America and having his squads in our streets. Then these verses would apply. Though we had a constitution, until our nation declared war. Only then. But until then, we don't. And do you know what the Lord Jesus Christ's order was for the Jews? There's been a change in government in this nation because you're getting what you deserve. There is a de facto government, and it's evidenced by the fact that you carry little inscriptions of their emperor in your pocket. And we carry inscriptions of our unconstitutional emperor in our pocket. They're called Federal Reserve Notes with truncated pyramids and the all-seeing eye of Isis and other ridiculous profane pagan emblems on it. Romans 13. I'm not going to preach a series on this subject. I just want you to remember what the Bible says when you look at the news. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. There was no governmental authority. There was no authority at all for the revolution that took place in Egypt. It was a bunch of rabble-rousers with the most idiotic, ignorant, inflammable segment of society. University students. They are always the worst segment of society. Children know they don't know anything. University students don't know that they don't know anything. They're full of hormones and they're easily stirred up because they're bored out of their minds. Because going to class 12 hours a week out of 168 does not exactly occupy a young, hormonally crazed male or female in their 20s. That's where all revolution begins. It's in universities. But this is what the Bible says. You resist a government, you're resisting the ordinance of God. You resist the men in the office, you're resisting God's men. And verse 3 goes on to describe that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Egypt bears the sword in vain. Because they didn't use the sword on the rabble in the streets. And so we could... We can, that's the Romans 13. I'll not read the rest of the passage. I have too much to cover. First Peter chapter 2. And you should know these by heart. And those of you who read your Bibles, listen to preaching, retain what you have been taught. You know these things are in the Bible. What does God think of civil rebellion? Well, He just said, if you resist the civil authority, you're resisting me. And you're going to bring upon yourselves damnation. First Peter chapter 2. Verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. When the, mil- when the police or the military appear with a megaphone telling you to get out of the streets and go back home, that's an ordinance of man. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors like Governor Scott Walker, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. In a respect, we're free from the governments of this world. We're only strangers and pilgrims here. Our King is the Lord Jesus Christ. But while we're free out of conscience toward God, we will obey the men and the offices that he has put in power. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. First Peter chapter 2. 
Look at Titus chapter 3. Back a few pages to the left in front of the book of Hebrews. Titus chapter 3. I began this second assembly by reading Titus 2.15 that tells me these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Titus 3.1 Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. That's what a minister is supposed to preach. He doesn't just preach the good hope that we have through grace that I preached to you in the first assembly. He also preaches these things. And he should preach them regularly. Because verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. It's good and profitable for us to remember the role of civil government in our lives and the authority that God has given masters over us in the employment realm as well. Second Peter chapter 2. Back to the other side of Hebrews. Second Peter chapter 2. Some of the harshest language in the Bible is reserved for the rabble in the streets of Cairo and the rabble in the streets of Madison, Wisconsin. And here's what God has to say about those people who despise government. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. And Jude 1 verses 8 through 10 have the same statement with slight modification in the term, in the wording. Second Peter 2.10 But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. The Lord put sexual perverts, sodomites, and the rabble in the street in political revolutions in the same category. Presumptuous are they. They are so presumptuous to be acting on something that they don't have any inkling of understanding about. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And we ought to be afraid to speak evil of dignities because God calls them gods. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might than anything in Wisconsin or Egypt, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these rabbles and these rabble-rousers, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, they're to be put down. If a government was following the Bible, they'd put them down. Speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Now that's some of the harshest language in the Bible. And it's reserved for those who want to be revolutionaries in the political realm. They speak evil of dignities. They despise government. They're self-willed and presumptuous. They don't have a clue about running government. Those university students in Cairo have never worked a day in their lives. They've never earned a dollar. They've never paid a dollar. They just want a bigger handout from the government. And they're instigated by men who should know better, that are older than them, to get out in the streets and to do their dirty work for them. If you put a hundred of them together, let them talk about it for two years and square the result of their findings, you still wouldn't have a leader. You'd have the contents of a diaper. That's why they're at the university. Look at Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. You know, it takes a university student to believe that we came from monkeys. It takes a university student to believe that capital punishment is not a deterrent to murder. And on and on we can go. It takes a university student to believe that minimum wage helps employment. Minimum wage reduces employment. Can anyone figure that out? What if the wage rate was bid down to where people would work for less than minimum wage? It would increase employment. But they aren't even allowed to hire people who really want to work. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 21. My son... And this is the preacher and the wise man, a king himself, telling us about our attitude toward government. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. Given to change are revolutionaries. 
Those who want to overthrow a government, we're not even supposed to meddle with them. We shouldn't read their writings. We shouldn't talk with them. We shouldn't participate. We don't go to Tea Party assemblies. We don't participate with them because of the Word of God. We don't need a Tea Party. We need to get down on our knees and ask the God of Heaven to take care of things for us. He will. He has before and He will again. For their calamity, verse 22, is the calamity of those that are given to change, revolutionaries, and those that meddle with them. For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both. I love the word of God. There it is, as simple as can be. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king. And don't mess around with those that are revolutionary and want to change government. Their calamity is going to come suddenly, and who knows the ruin of them both, because it's going to be an infinite punishment. He'll do better than you can think. There's more that can be said. What does God think of student demonstrators? God likes what he saw on May 4th, 1970. What happened on May 4th, 1970? 77 Ohio National Guards stood defending themselves and the university property against thousands of students that were demonstrating and had been demonstrating for several days. Four days earlier, they had burned the ROTC building and stood around it, making fun of our military and our government. And then they went downtown of that city that houses that university and rioted in the streets. Twenty-eight of those Ohio National Guard pulled the triggers on their M1 Garands with full metal jackets on their on their uh, .30-06 rounds that come out of an M1 Garand and shot four of those students dead and wounded 22. All you get to know about it coming 40 years later is a picture of a 14-year-old runaway girl in the middle of the street screaming about one of the dead rabble. She was a 14-year-old runaway, but she's the hero of that whole event. Thankfully, our government did not prosecute any of those guardsmen. President Nixon called the rabble that faced them bums. I remember that event. In 1970, I was 13 years old. I was just one year younger than the little teenager out there in the street. What does a teenager know about authority, military, politics, government, taxation, authority? What does she know? Nothing. What was she do? What was a runaway doing there? Because it's rabble. Do you all have that picture in your mind, or are most of you too young? See, at 17 years old, I stood in the marijuana-drenched north end of Michigan Stadium with 105,000, and I saw the game coming to a conclusion in which Michigan was winning, and I saw six security guards asked by the University of Michigan to protect the north end goalposts. And when the game ended, those six men formed a human circle around that goalpost. But I watched 20,000 crazed, hormonally idiotic students rush them and pummel them. And I just stood there and begged the God of heaven that if I could get in a time machine, I'd bring them some machine guns. Six against a mob. I was just a 17-year-old boy, but I realized I don't like mobs. I don't like the rabble. All these kids have been up here. Don't even ask what they do in the north end of Michigan Stadium, but most of them are high. You can practically get high by sitting there for a while with them. It's Ann Arbor, Michigan. Ann Arbor, Michigan is a profane place on earth. Why? Because it houses an institution called the University of Michigan. That's where insanity breeds itself. University students are the most ignorant, the most inflammable, and the most vulnerable group in society to get out in the streets and force a government out of office. They're not smart enough to get there themselves. They're stirred up to it. They're flattered to think that they can think, which makes them worse than fools. Are you in Proverbs? Look at chapter 26 and verse 12. Proverbs 26, 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? Have you ever listened to a 20-year-old talk? That's seeing a man wise in his own conceit. A 20-year-old doesn't have a clue what they're talking about. 
If they've even got any intelligence and moral integrity when they're 30, they will tell you that at 20 they were retarded. Look at 26.12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? If a 20-year-old will even grant an interview to give their opinion about matters that they have never experienced themselves, the Bible says there is more hope of a fool than of him. When you see somebody that's arrogant about their opinion, there's more hope of a fool. A fool's just stupid. But somebody that's conceited about their opinion becomes a scorner. And these are not our opinions. This is just the Word of God. It didn't matter whether the king was Nebuchadnezzar or the king was a Caesar in Rome that hated Christians. The mandate was the same in both Testaments. Obey. Pay tribute. Pray for them. And I'll take care of you. Let them be your tits. Let those nursing kings and nursing fathers take care of you. That's what it says in the Bible. Use the system. Pray for it. Be the best citizens. Obey. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Render to God the things that are God's, but render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Most university educations, most consists of rejecting parental, religious, and civil order for the anarchic, evolutionary, revolutionary hallucinations of their professors. That's where revolution is bred. Little children are too young. They trust daddy still. University students don't. They don't want rules from anyone. You know what happened after Kent State across this country? Nine million students won't go to class shut down a thousand universities, sit-ins everywhere, subsidized education by the taxpayers of this country, no different than the representatives, the Democrat representatives of the government of Wisconsin who have gone across state lines and will not show up for work. What's a labor union? A labor union is a group of employees in a company, an industry, or a branch of government is determined to force all the employees to join them against management or ownership, to demand what they want in the way of work conditions, work requirements, pay, benefits, policies, etc. It's mob rule. It's extortion. That's what the definition of extortion is. It's blackmail. We're going to get all the employees together. You can't fire us all. We're going to tell you what to do. We're going to tell you what we want to get paid. And we're going to tell you when we're going to work. We're going to tell you how we're going to work. And we're going to have rules to protect us, and you're never going to mistreat us again. Rabble. Put ten of them together in a room. Let them talk and work for two years. They would never be able to come up with the capital, the wisdom, or the risk-taking ability of the men who gave them that plant or that company to operate in. God in both Testaments is the same when it comes to employment. God put masters over servants, and it is a terrible heinous, atrocious thing for a servant to ever have rule over a prince or over a master. To have a servant on a horse and the prince that belongs on the horse on the street is a terrible thing. It's an evil, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and it proceeds from the ruler by ever allowing it to happen, which is why I've said what I've said. Egypt should have stomped it into the ground. Bahrain and a couple of others are trying to. Do you understand what happened in Egypt is happening in about seven countries in the Middle East right now, and it's happening in our country, in Wisconsin. It's going to happen in other states, and it's going to happen more in the future because the tits are running dry. That's a Bible word. It's T-E-A-T-S. Don't be offended, anyone. The teats are running dry. And when you cut off people who have lived on the teats of the government which means the taxpayers and the debt of this nation, and you tell them there isn't any more, or there's not as much as there used to be, or we would like you to pay a a couple percentage points of your fringe benefit package since you're paid twice as much as any private of your private sector competitors, they rebel. They can't handle it. So they're in the streets, and they get their champions like Jesse Jackson. You want to talk about a man that wanders on in darkness? It's Jesse Jackson. He's a leech. He just looks for events like this where he can go and spout his error. I love the Bible. 
I love the Bible when it comes to this subject as well as any other subject. There isn't one in a hundred smart enough to figure out that when they demonstrate like that, they're guaranteeing the eventual overthrow of that company and they and their union compatriots will not have a job at all. But they're not smart enough to figure that out. They are the most selfish people on earth. And they are the laziest people on earth because they do not want competition. Competition scares the life out of them. To have to compete with a man for a job, to have to compete with a man for pay, to have to compete on the grounds of being there on time, staying late, working hard, and bearing up under difficult situations, they don't want to compete. They hate competition. They want to get themselves all together so that they won't have to compete. They can all get paid the same amount, three times what they ought to be paid for doing what they want to do during a day. I grew up in a city based on union workers. And I've watched that industry be hammered over the years. Every year, it was round robin, Ford one year, Chrysler the next, GM the third, and then we start over again with Chrysler and Ford. Strike them. Shut their factories. Make them give us what we want until we have two months off with paid days, vacation days, holidays, and we get paid twice as much as anyone doing any similar job in another industry. On and on it goes. What does the Bible have to say about employers? I thank God that we've had some leaders. I'm thankful for Ronald Reagan. And it's the 30th anniversary of what he did to the air traffic controllers of this nation. The air traffic controllers said, we're going to walk off the job if we don't get to reduce our work hours from 40 to 32 and get a pay raise. He said, I'll fire you all. I remember where I was. One of the best days of my life. I knew I had a president. I knew I had a man in the office of president. He fired them all. Flights kept right on going. There weren't nearly as many near misses and accidents. Go research it yourself. Because you had real people working for a change. Instead of the rabble who get together in a mob and extort extra pay out of you. We have a little history in our church with Frank Lorenzo and Eastern Airlines. For those of you who have long memories. They use the words rank and file. Do you know what rank and file is? It's a euphemism for rabble, rabble rousers, mob, rebels, and seditionists. They use a euphemism called collective bargaining. I hope that you're able to read things and interpret them right. Collective bargaining is a euphemism for extortion, blackmail, and threatening. Collective means we're all going to get together. Bargaining is we're going to tell you how it's going to be. Right to organize is a euphemism for conspiracy, sedition, treason, and mob rule. Just learn to think when you read the news. Now, let's go to the Bible and see what it has to say. Titus chapter 2. Since we started with Titus by finding out that the Lord told me to teach these things to you, to speak, to exhort, to rebuke with all authority. Not my authority. I don't have any. The authority is from God's Word. Let no man despise thee. Titus chapter 2. Now remember, I introduced Titus 2 a few minutes ago when I said it dealt, it starts with aged men, then aged women, then young women, then young men, then ministers, then servants or employees. Those that work for someone else. Titus 2 9. Exhort. Remember in verse 15 it says, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Because this is God's authority. This is what God wants you to think. Exhort servants. To be obedient. How much room is there in there for a union? Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. How much room for a union so far? Not answering again. How much room for a union? Not purloining. Like the representatives in Wisconsin, by not showing up for work, but showing all good fidelity. Is that marching out front with a picket sign and not letting real workers who are twice the man you are in to fill the slots in that factory or that office? Showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. 
How do we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior on the job? We obey our masters. We please them well in all things. We don't answer again. We're not guilty of small thefts. We show all good fidelity at all times. They can trust us. They know that we have their interests and the interests of their company at the top of the list below the Lord Himself. See, Potiphar knew that even though Joseph was a slave. Right. You say, well, what if it's bad working conditions? Well, what were Joseph's like? How was he bought? Did he apply for his job? How many interviews did he have? Joseph took such good care of Potiphar, Potiphar didn't even know what he owned, except he got supper every night. He didn't want to know. Just keep doing the great job you're doing, Joseph. Because he was prospering. And he knew that there was some divine supernatural force with that man Joseph. Not force, it was the presence of God. Because the Bible says the Lord was with him. Titus 2 tells us how we're supposed to behave on the job. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. The Bible does address these things. And because it addresses... When the Bible says, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, does that include how employees should act on the job? It does. And we hate every false way? Then we should hate anything that we read contrary to this. This is how we're supposed to act in this world toward our bosses. There's no exceptions in the Bible. The only time you have a right to disobey civil authority is when they require you to do something God condemns. Or when they hinder you from doing something God commands. Only then do we disobey. And when we disobey, we'll use every bit of wits God's given us. But we will not do it until then. Until then, we'll write documents like God bless the IRS and mean it. Because if you look with a informed eye with the wisdom of Scripture, we are blessed. I don't like our national debt. But they're going to have to deal with it. We didn't make it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Look, This is what the Bible says. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Though we have a spiritual master in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have physical masters of the flesh in our jobs that we work. With fear and trembling. That's how you ought to work for your boss. Fear and trembling. In singleness of your heart, you only have one overriding motive for doing this. There's one driving force that keeps you obeying your master and doing it with fear and trembling. And that single heart is as unto Christ. It's as if your boss was Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether your boss is a Hindu or a Baptist. It doesn't matter whether your your boss is a sodomite or heterosexual. Doesn't matter. He's your boss. He's the man that God put over you in your place of authority. Not with eye service as men pleasers. We're not just out to please the boss to get a raise. But as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from our hearts. With good will. Doing service as to the Lord. We are trying to do the best we can for them to help them in their business. With good will. Our purpose is not to hurt them. Our purpose is to help them. And you get in there and you take care of the fig tree that way. You will never need a union because you will make far more money than any union worker will ever get. The Bible says so. He that keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof. So he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. It's a rule. Even if that rule is a function of their greed, for them getting ahead with their business, as long as you're the one helping them get ahead, they're going to help you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. That's their kind of saying. But the Lord appeals to that by doing goodwill toward them. But we do it as to the Lord and not to men. The Lord is always preeminent because it's out of conscience toward Him that we would never join a union. It's out of conscience toward Him that we would obey those in authority over us in the workplace. Verse 8, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, 
The same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. See, it doesn't matter if you were a slave or if you were an employee. If you do good this way, taking care of your boss with goodwill toward them, but doing it as to the Lord with a single heart and doing it heartily, as it says in Colossians, where these same four verses are repeated with a slight variation in wording, the Lord will bless you. This is what he wants. This is how we serve Christ. And see, we've got a master that will take care of us. The little people, the rabble in the streets say, but if I go and work that way for a boss, he'll just take advantage of me. He'll steal my labor. He'll walk all over me. What? There's a master in heaven that keeps that man's heart beating every day. There's a master in heaven that determines if anybody's going to call and ask for their product. There's a master in heaven that will take care of all that. We never go through any such faithless reasoning. The only reasoning we go through is what does the Bible say? And if the Bible says it, that's what we do. He'll take care of all the rest. You say, well, I had a bad boss once and he didn't give me a promotion when I thought he should. That's right, because your master in heaven was giving you an opportunity for the first time in your life to do something worthy of a commendation. Because until you have a boss that doesn't give you a promotion when he promised to give you one or you thought you deserved one, you do not have an opportunity to be a real man. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. That's the forward master. And it's a wonderful opportunity out of conscience toward God to endure grief, suffering wrongfully. What's the union mentality? Well, I'm suffering wrongfully. It's not fair. I'm going to get the rest of us guys together. We're going to get baseball bats and break the legs of anybody who tries to break this strike. And we're going to overthrow this company. They're going to give us what we want. But the Bible says suffering wrongfully and enduring grief. What's the reaction? We submit to that master out of conscience toward God. Because God wants us to be squeaky clean in our reputations before the world. And because God is our master. He will take care of us, and He will take care of that Master. That's what we're supposed to do. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Hello? Do I need to explain the language? Or is it decent enough? Did the Lord do a good enough job? Let as many servants as are under the yoke. How many exceptions? Is there a union exception in here? Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and His doctrine be not blasphemed. Because in days gone by, there was one end for a rabble rouser or a union instigator. Just shoot them. It's a wonderful history to read the history of labor in the United States, and now we're reaping the results. Why can't Detroit produce cars? Listen. We as Americans can make better cars and sell them to the public cheaper than Japan can even imagine. But it's, it's labor unions that will never allow that to happen. If you don't know that, then just read a little bit about the labor rates and the fringe benefit package, packages and the restrictive rules on the job for UAW workers. It's a shame that I had to know too many of them and hear those stories. Look at 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. The Lord doesn't care whether we're American or Japanese. We're going to be the sons of God in heaven. We are the sons of God now, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. And that is our hope. And with that hope in mind, who cares about your raises now? Who cares about your working conditions now? Well, it's cold in that factory. In the winter, they don't heat it above 60 degrees. Oh, you poor thing. Go start your own factory and heat it to 80. See, the rabble could never. If the rabble had their jobs taken away from them, they would be reduced to sticks in the ground eating vegetables in one week. They are unable to put together a factory. The infrastructure of a factory, the design of a factory, the planning of a factory, the risk of a factory, the capital of a factory is an enormous undertaking by businessmen. 
They're princes on horses. They deserve to have the first parking place next to the door. They always work three times as many hours as a union man anyway, because it's their business. First Peter 2, we've already been here for the obedience to civil government in verses 13 through 17, but in 18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. How can you do something thankworthy toward God unless you're suffering? If you're just on the job and everything is peachy and your boss is just treating you well, how can you do something that's worthy of God's commendation? It's not until you have a boss that's forward, obnoxious, perverse, corrupt, that you have an opportunity to do so. And see here, the Apostle Peter doesn't make any distinction whatsoever about good or bad. It doesn't matter whether you have a good and gentle boss or you have a bad and forward boss. The, the bottom line in our duty as Christians is the same. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear. For this is thankworthy if out of conscience toward God and in hope of eternal life, you treat both kinds equally, well, fear, fearfully, trembling, zealously, doing goodwill, heartily, and whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. What should we do? Proverbs 28 and verse 4. Please turn there. We'll close with this verse. Proverbs 28 and verse 4. What should we do? We should pray for our government to be delivered from the anarchists that we saw in Egypt, and we should pray for our government to use the sword God gave them to punish such rebels. We should pray for God to protect Governor Scott Walker and to give him wisdom, courage, and boldness to lead that state to do what is right and essential for them to balance their budget just as that state voted him to do. We should obey in all matters of faith and duty in our lives and live like strangers and pilgrims on this earth so that our Father in heaven will bless us and protect us. And we can vote as intelligently as possible when we have the opportunity. You can know one thing. If a candidate is endorsed by the labor unions, you better vote for the other one. It's that simple. That is the best measure to know who to vote for in an election. Listen, as soon as now comes out and tells me who they're backing, National Organization of Women, in case you didn't know, or PETA comes out and tells me that they're backing someone, I know absolutely who I'm going to pull the lever for. Whoever will slap that particular candidate down. It's very simple. And you know what? They all come out for the same side every time. They're against one and they're for another. I don't care if there are a lot of similarities between whoever we get in office. Whoever we get in office are also hamstrung by the government that we've put on them. Brethren, what's the best thing we can do? First of all, we remember the Word of God and we esteem whatever it says to be right and we hate every false way. So when you read the newspaper, you read the Internet, and you tell your children, well, this is what the Bible says, children. It doesn't matter what's politically correct. It doesn't matter what's sentimental. What does the Bible say? And just go to the Bible. Let our passions be governed by the Bible. Then let's pray. Children, let's get down and pray for our nation. God can overrule things and turn. He can turn the city of Babylon over to Darius the Mede and Cyrus the Persian in one night. It was an impregnable city. Believe that, children. He can make that happen. Herod can get up and give a speech and take a little bit too much honor to himself and fall down dead and be eaten of worms. Children, the Lord can take care. The Lord can tell Artaxerxes, Nehemiah, you go back and take care of whatever's wrong in Jerusalem, and I'll pay for it. we got to believe those things. That's how we read the Bible, to know all those things. Here's the most important thing we need to do. Proverbs 28 and verse 4. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. Wherever you're disobeying God in your life, in your relationships, if you're a husband and you're not treating your wife the way you should, or you're a wife, and you're not submitting to your husband the way you should, you praise the wicked. If you go to work tomorrow and you don't work like a Christian, you're praising the wicked. You're endorsing unions. If you're a boss tomorrow and you don't properly treat your employees 
And there is a whole lot in the Bible about how masters should treat employees. But if you don't do that, you're praising the wicked. You're endorsing unions. You're endorsing revolution. They that forsake the law praise the wicked. But such as keep the law contend with them. You know what the best way to fight against the wicked is? Keep the law. Let's have the best families. Let's have the best church. Let's be the best employees. Let's be the best students. Let's be the best soldiers. Let's be the best whatever we do. And let's do it as unto the Lord. Let's do it with fear and trembling. Let's do it to the good and gentle. Let's do it under any circumstances. Let's do it when we're enduring grief, suffering wrongfully. Let's do it with our might. And let's do it right. So that when we, according to this text, keep the law, we contend with them. That's the best way to say that your ideas about marriage, your ideas about employment, your ideas about nations are wrong. Because here's how it could work. And whether they ever see it or not, the Lord sees our effort to keep His law. That's how we contend with them. Then we get to our knees and we pray and turn all such things over to the Lord. Brethren, every day, you face things public and private, small and large, that need to be interpreted through the spectacles of Holy Scripture. Don't go to the Bible with your passion already ignited. Go to the Bible and find out what God's will is in matters and let it ignite your passions. And let us be passionate for God's Word. He has spoken. I want to defend Him. He is the God behind every civil ruler, and He's the God behind every master. And He's told us how we're supposed to obey both. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen. Father in heaven, Father in heaven, the inhabitants of the earth are dissolved. The pillars and the foundations are out of place. They're out of course. Authority is not defended like you intended it to be. Your name is mocked, and the authority of a Creator God that can create vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor for His own praise and glory is an incomprehensible thing because no one can see authority exercised in the earth. Even though you gave them the sword to bear, they don't use it. Our Father in heaven, we turn the governments of this world over to Thee, where they have been. And we pray for our governor in Wisconsin that You will be with him, that You will give him courage and wisdom, that You'll protect him from his enemies, and that You'll exonerate him, and that You will prosper the state of Wisconsin. Lord, help him. Father in heaven, we pray for our president and our own governor here in South Carolina. We pray for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We pray for Congress. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for our mayor. We pray for county council. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those that you have put in authority over us. We know that they are little gods and that we should pray for them and that we should obey them and pay tribute to them. And we do so willingly. And Father, we ask for you to take care of us as you did the captive Jews in Babylon. We're going to continue to have children, to marry those children, to plant vineyards and to build houses. We're trusting you to protect us, to guide us, to show us what we ought to do if circumstances in our nation get worse. Heavenly Father, bless us to go into the workplace tomorrow and to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, including how we work on the job. To the good and gentle, Heavenly Father, let us do it with a single heart and a single mind, as unto Thee, our Master in heaven. We thank Thee for Thy Word. It is not difficult to understand. It is so hard, and it is so powerful. In our weak and effeminate generation, it's hard for us to grasp. But Heavenly Father, we pray that you will stir up our hearts and our minds to contend with the wicked by living righteously. Let our marriages be the best, our church, our employment, whether master or servant, our relationship to the civil government. Let it be honest and full of integrity that no man can question or attack it 
that we might honor Thee. We thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee that we know where marriage came from, governments came from, businesses came from. We know the relationship is established by Thee. And we pray that we will uphold it in every opportunity that we have. And, O Lord, wherever our attitudes or our words, our thoughts and our heart are contrary to Your Word, rebuke us, correct us, that we might be honest and balanced and fair and righteous and just and equitable in all that we say and do. We love Thy law, and until You tell us otherwise, this is what we believe because You have declared it. And we will go from this place to uphold it. Heavenly Father, help us not to let politics or business affairs distract us from the hope that is set before us. Let us keep our attention and our affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. We thank Thee for saving us, and we look forward, and we ask for it to come speedily when we shall be in a new heaven and a new earth with a righteous king forever. And we shall do thy will most cheerfully for eternity. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and commit ourselves to thee. Amen. Amen.